It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Look, the country may be in terrible shape. The planet may be in terrible shape. But right now, there's only one story. There's only one incredibly compelling storyline, and it's about Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. I don't care if you're not an NFL fan, if you don't particularly understand the rules of football. I mean, the Super Bowl is a cultural event. By the way, you know, this is what, Super Bowl 55? Uh, I saw a little thing on Twitter about Super Bowl One. The halftime show was a bunch of college marching bands and Al Hurt playing the trumpet. I mean, it just wasn't that big a deal in the beginning. It was the football championship game. It wasn't this extravaganza with all the commercials. And also, by the way, a lot of those commercials were really seriously weird. And almost everyone seemed to have a sort of a tech aspect or an apocryphal aspect or an existential aspect. You couldn't even figure out till the end like what it was that these companies were selling. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you love them. But getting back to Brady. In fact, story number one, the Super Bowl, Tom Brady. Um, it's just the idea that he's 43 years old, which is the equivalent of a 78-year-old president, say, in football terms, because your bodies get battered from playing too many seasons, uh, that he left the New England Patriots after nine Super Bowls, six Super Bowl victories, goes to this team that uh, hadn't been in the big game since, I think it's 2002, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, had a pretty good team, but it wasn't a Super Bowl caliber team. Has to learn a whole new system. There's no... uh, preseason because of the pandemic they got off to about a 7-5 start and then suddenly they got hot and they had to win three road games during the playoffs and the thing is you know Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are an, are an awesome team they got clobbered they got annihilated and that's not all Brady's doing I mean the the story was the defense of um, Tampa Bay plus the stupid penalties even if you think the refs were a bit unfair one after another after another, you, and you would see it on the videotape, holding and pulling at the receivers, uh, which handed Tampa at least one touchdown, if not more. And in fact, uh, if they hadn't been stopped on the one-yard line, not the one-foot line, in a previous play in the first half, instead of the final score being 31-9, to would have been 38-9. I mean, this was just as much of an annihilation as I have ever seen in the World Football Championship game. Um, but here's a Washington Post columnist talking about Brady and said that he decided to leave New England. You know, there's questions about could he pay, uh, could the team pay him as much money? And maybe he just wanted to prove something. He decided to leave because he needed to write his ending. And he needed to write it his way. And for those addicted to success, aspiration trumps comfort. He was right. The Buccaneers didn't simply ride Brady to a championship through a regular season, which they had to develop quickly through a difficult postseason. They turned into a complete team. On Sunday, their defense had led the way, taking apart the Chiefs' historic speedy offense with a masterful game plan. Uh, In fact, the Kansas City Chiefs were limited to 145 yards of rushing. Um, And, of course, Brady and his old pal from New England, Ron Gronkowski, connected for two touchdowns. You know, Brady didn't play a flawless game. But he played a good enough game. He, I mean, 21 out of 29 passes, but they also had the running game going. And that, that combination uh, was deadly. And by the first half, you could see it was heading toward a blowout. I kept thinking, well, Kansas City going to come back, right? Uh, not so much. And it's just, you know, a lot of people hated Tom Brady at the New England Patriots because they hated the Patriots. They hated Belichick. They hated Deflategate. All of that. 
But even a lot of those people I saw, just in terms of talking to people or seeing what people, folks were saying online, you had to hand it to Brady here. You know, his 10th Super Bowl, uh, this, this middling team putting it all together, and not just winning, like winning in the final seconds with a patented Tom Drady two-minute two drive, but just absolutely blowing out the other team. It was disappointing for Kansas City, obviously. Um, it just was, you know, a Super Bowl for the ages. And it's kind of like, you know, the aging hero. By the way, he says he's going to come back next year at the age of 44. Okay. Um, to put it together, to show that it wasn't just the New England system or, you know, the way the Patriots played, played ball. Um, to do it with this Florida team. It was just incredible. Just incredible. Um, another thing I just thought was bizarre were the 30,000 cardboard cutouts in the stands. Why do you need that? And then it turned out they're selling them for 100 bucks a piece. Anyway, and the only discordant note I found was apparently, and there were reports on this after the game, I mean, naturally, the people in Tampa Bay, the fans, they went crazy. But there were thousands of people in the streets not wearing any masks. And you know that two weeks from now, three weeks from now, there's going to be reports of a spike in coronavirus. You would just think, you know, as happy as they were, and they're certainly entitled to celebrate, that they might have thought that, hey, we are still in the middle of this pandemic. But... Um, you know, it got off to a slow start in the first quarter. And then I guess the first quarter ended. Finally, Brady scored a touchdown, Brady and the Bucks, at the end of the first quarter. So it was 7-3. And it looked like, well, this could be a low-scoring game. You know, a lot of defense here. And then the second quarter, it just completely and totally turned. And then, and then increasingly, you couldn't see how Kansas City could possibly come back. And then, you know, in, uh, Tampa Bay started eating up the clock with a lot of running drives. And, you know, you can only do that if you, you're getting first down. So... I just think, um, in some ways, it wasn't the most exciting Super Bowl because by the time, uh, by halftime and certainly the third quarter, it was so lopsided, it, you could see where this was going. Um, and I do think the, the Chiefs committing these stupid penalties kind of annihilated any chance they had of getting back in the game. You know, if you get within 10 points, then maybe you get an interception, you, you do something where you're lucky. But uh, quite a Super Bowl. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you didn't enjoy the game, hope you at least you know had family around and had a lot of good snacks, uh, or loved the commercials. Maybe I'm just maybe the commercials just uh, aren't aren't aimed at me. Maybe I'm not the right demographic. I mean, a few of them I liked and thought were clever, but a lot of them just seem so overproduced, overdone. I don't know. Springsteen selling Jeeps, whatever. All right, folks. Story number two. And story number two is going to be story number one across the universe in Western civilization tomorrow when the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump gets overway. Here's a new poll from ABC News. 56% of Americans say Trump should be convicted and barred from holding office again. 43% say he should not be. That's a few percentage points more unfavorable to Trump than in the first impeachment trial, which seems like a million years ago, but it's just about a year and a month ago. Um, in this poll, of course, you get to the uh, actual partisan breakdown. 15% of Republicans say they support Senate conviction and barring Trump from office. That's surprising given the former president's hold on the GOP. Democrats, uh, 92% say he should be convicted. Independents, 54% in favor of convicting and prohibiting him from running again. 45% against. But it doesn't matter. It's not a public opinion poll. It's up to 100 senators acting as jurors. And we know that about 45, maybe they'll lose one or two, out of the 50 Republican senators are going to vote to acquit, and the thing's going to be over. 
In fact, I thought the one thing that everybody agreed on was both Democrats and Republicans is they wanted this over quickly. There were even, there was even talk of having it done by Saturday, but now I'm starting to see headlines. Well, it could stretch into next week. Congress can't do anything quickly. I mean, come on. It's just impossible. So it's going to drag on and on at the expense of Joe Biden's agenda. Uh, Politico has a piece, uh, I think it's kind of whining by the House managers. Oh, they're so frustrated. They've struggled for years, the lead says, to hold Donald Trump accountable, and now they're at a crossroads. Do they go all out to convict Trump by calling a parade of witnesses to testify to his misdeeds? Or do they concede it's a lost cause, finish the trial ASAP, and go on with President Biden's agenda? And the answer really is door number two, because they're not going to get conviction. Now, there's another school of thought, and I've talked about this a little bit on last week's podcast, which is it's not about getting conviction. It's about showing all the video of all the awful, heartbreaking, tragic violence carried out uh, mostly by these pro-Trump thugs and fanatics and criminals, and I'll call them domestic terrorists, and thereby reminding everybody um, just how unbelievably chilling this was. And remember, it could have been much, much, much worse if not for some brave Capitol Police officers. Um, And you convict Donald Trump in the court of public opinion. Uh, Memories fade, but here you have, have, they're going to show the video of him giving the speech and let's go down Pennsylvania Avenue. And then they're going to cut to, you know, so many of these people. A lot of the video comes from the the thugs and the perpetrators themselves. Yeah, we're posting this on social media. Hey, mom, here I am storming the Capitol. Hi, how are you? Here's my selfie. How moronic is that? It led to a hell of a lot of arrests. So getting back to this political playbook piece, Several of the House impeachment managers, not on the record, of course, want firsthand testimony to prove their case, but they're being told by Chuck Schumer, by Nancy Pelosi, and by the Biden administration, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. We want this done quickly. It's been a source of frustration for some Democrats privately. Trump, these people have noticed, is already on the rebound politically, well, at least among Republicans. The GOP basis rallied to his defense. That's why there's been talk about managers about calling individuals who could change minds. If not enough Senate, Republican senators to get a conviction, but at least Republican voters, maybe you knock some of those off the Trump train. For example, they've talked privately about having Capitol Police officers tell their stories about fighting the mob or inviting Republican officials in Georgia who were pressured in that infamous phone call by former President Trump. Also been chattered about bringing in former White House officials who observed Trump on the day of the riots. And you know what that does? It doesn't do much of anything. I mean, maybe the Capitol Police officers would certainly be a a heart-rending tale. But remember from the first impeachment trial, you know, all these witnesses, they didn't get to testify at the trial, but they testified in the House, and, you know, went on and on and on, and it got bogged down in detail and bogged down in cross-examination, and, you know, uh, it wasn't the most compelling story. The argument for the quick trial is, it's all happened in public. We all watched it play out on our television screens. We watched... And remember, this was January 6th. It's just about a month ago. We watched the rally, the president call. We watched him whipping up the crowd. This is not to say that he's guilty of inciting the violence, but certainly he had some kind of role. Uh, we watched him march down Pennsylvania Avenue. We watched him break the barricades. We watched him uh, storm the Capitol, take over Nancy Pelosi's office, almost get into the Senate chamber. We watched, uh, you know, the beating of a police officer with an American flag. I mean, it was just a dark day for democracy. So 
if the goal is to um, try Donald Trump in the court of public opinion, then all the video makes sense. Uh, but if the goal is to win this thing, you're not going to win it, and it's just going to drag on if you call witnesses, and I think that's where they're going to come out. Oh, here's an example from a Washington Post story. Uh, according to prosecutors, uh, a supporter, a QAnon supporter from Pittsburgh, name of Kenneth Grayson, who's been charged, wrote to an associate back on December 23rd, I'm there for the greatest celebration of all time after Pence leads the Senate flip. So he thought that uh, the election results are going to be overturned and Donald Trump will be able to serve a second term. And then in all caps, or I'm there if Trump tells us to storm the effing Capitol. I'm going to do that then. All right. I guess you did that because now you're facing criminal charges, charged with five felonies. House managers have cited videos taken in the crowd, which show that after Trump exhorted the group to show strength, people could be heard shouting, take the Capitol right now and invade the Capitol. And indeed they did. But who's responsible for that ultimately? Well, legally it's one question, but an impeachment is a political trial. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, let's move on now to story number three. Democrats are going ahead, you know, ready to pass this massive $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan. And um, they're also laying the political groundwork. Uh, So if Republicans don't join them, and it's pretty clear now they're going to go the budget reconciliation route, which means it's going to pass the Senate 51 to 50 with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie. Because, you know, I'm sure Joe Biden would like to have some Republican votes, but he's just not going to get there. I mean, maybe he'll get a couple. Uh, because you have a almost $2 trillion plan versus a $600 billion plan, and it's just the sides are just too far apart. So this other political piece is interesting. Uh, there's already talk among the Dems and, you know, the Democrats' political arms on the Hill to uh, run attack ads during the midterm elections, portraying Republicans as perfectly willing to slash taxes for the wealthy, but too stingy to cut checks for people struggling during the deadly pandemic. So they're building the case to try to to stave off the inevitable midterm losses that a new president's party faces two years in. I mean, that's historically been the pattern. And Biden's aides and allies, and this is obviously all being fed by Biden's sources to Politico, are vowing not to make the same mistakes as previous administrations going into the midterms. They're pulling together plans to ensure Americans know about every dollar delivered and job kept because of the bill that they undoubtedly are going to pass. Because it is true, you know, Barack Obama put together that uh, $800 billion stimulus package in 2009, and a polls showed a lot of people didn't feel like it helped them personally. Uh, And part of that is messaging and selling what you've done. I mean, this is such a massive package. Certainly the people who are getting what will then amount to a total of $2,000 stimulus checks uh, for individuals, uh, people who will be getting jobless insurance that has been extended, uh, not to mention aid to schools, uh, not to mention what it does for the vaccine program. There'll be a giant outreach effort um, uh, as well from the Democratic House and Senate campaign committees. The DNC will be working with state parties, mobilizing to highlight Biden's legislation as helping save lives and create jobs. Well, that's a pretty good bumper sticker slogan, right? If, in fact, it succeeds. I mean, you can spend all this money, and I don't know, Is it a match? Can they get people vaccinated fast enough? That vaccine rollout has been horrible. Every day I I read online or I talk to people and I see new horror stories. People waited and waited and waited and finally got appointments and then the appointments were canceled at the last minute because they changed the criteria or they decided to do over 75 first or whatever. It's just driving people flipping nuts. 
uh, a White House official, unnamed, told Politico, it's going to be very difficult for Republican lawmakers to look their constituents in the eyes and try to explain why they voted against giving them $1,400 checks, why they voted against reopening schools, and why they voted against speeding up vaccinations. We're going to keep making the case about why this package matters. Okay, why wouldn't somebody say some version of that on the record? And by the way, there's, there'll be another side to this, and obviously there'll be a lot of talk about the deficit, and do we really have $2 trillion to spend after passing the, you know, the huge uh, over a trillion dollar relief package last spring. Uh, but things are still pretty bad. And I think that's why uh, the polls are showing, I think I mentioned a poll from the Quinnipiac, 68% of uh, people supporting this huge Biden COVID package, including I think it was more than a third of Republicans. A close White House ally quoted as saying, without name attached, members who stand for killing jobs in the worst downturn since the Great Depression will be at great risk of losing their own. So, I mean, this is their spin, right? They're setting it up how they're going to win in the midterms. Biden is well aware of the long road ahead and the pitfalls that come with patching a major bill, but selling it inadequately. You could say that was true of Obamacare. I mean, there were a lot of problems with Obamacare. A lot of people got knocked off their insurance. A lot of people couldn't like their doctor and keep their doctor as Barack Obama had promised. But ultimately, it became more popular to the point where, in three different attempts, Donald Trump was unable to repeal it, even when he had a Republican House and a Republican Senate. Because when people get benefits, they tend to like to keep those benefits. Uh, and meanwhile, they're out with a campaign now. 14 senior Biden administration officials have sat for more than 100 national TV, radio, and podcast interviews on the rescue plan. Janet Yellen, the new Treasury Secretary, was out on several shows yesterday. Um, pushing for how we need this money, we need it now to help the economy. Uh, and meanwhile, as part of this uh, zillion-dollar package, top House Democrats are going to unveil legislation today that would send up to $3,600 per child to millions of Americans. They want to make a, a progress against child poverty rates as part of the package. Well, it costs money when you have big tax credits. Um, it's clearly you know, long-standing Democratic priority. Uh, so you'd get $3,600 per child younger than six and $3,000 per child uh, younger than 17 uh, over the course of a year. And that would phase out for individual Americans to make more than 75 k and for couples to make them more than 150000 This was first reported by the Washington Post, confirmed by the New York Times. Um, interesting to see how the politics of that will play out. I guess if it doesn't cost any more, once it's scored, as they say on the Hill, uh, then the overall $1.9 trillion, um, you know, it's always good to put children first, and there obviously would be more sympathy for that. Uh, but what is that going to squeeze out? If you're spending, if you're giving up that revenue as part of the cost, what are you not going to do as part of the bill? A lot of details, folks, still to be hammered out. All right, story number four. You probably know this by now. I had to deal this uh, with this yesterday on Media Buzz. Hope you got a chance to watch the show. All the segments are online, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, but um, there was a major lawsuit filed by the Smartmatic company. $2.7 billion lawsuit, which went against the Fox Corporation, three of its television hosts. That would be Lou Dobbs, Janine Pirro, Maria Bartiromo, as well as, also named as defendants, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, the current and former uh, Trump lawyers. Now, Smartmatic is this company that only provided election services to Los Angeles County, but it is charging in this suit a conspiracy to defame and disparage Smartmatic, 
that included all those defendants. Fox put out a statement saying Fox News Media is committed to providing the full context of every story with in-depth reporting and clear opinion. We're proud of our 2020 election coverage. We'll vigorously defend this meritless lawsuit in court. But on Friday, the day after that lawsuit, Fox Business Network announced that it is canceling Lou Dobbs Tonight. Uh, That is the highest rated show on the network. As I said on the air, I mean, I've known Lou Dobbs forever. I mean, he spent 30 years at CNN. He was controversial there. He has spent a decade at Fox. He's been controversial at Fox. Uh, When I was at CNN, uh, I had to interview Dobbs occasionally. And in those days, he was, you know, this anti-immigration crusader in a way that uh, made a lot of people at CNN uncomfortable, but it made him, you know, kind of a populist hero in some quarters. Um, more recently, obviously the last four years, it is no secret that Lou Dobbs uh, became one of Donald Trump's most passionate defenders uh, during the four years of his presidency, and after the election, became one of the most passionate defenders of President Trump's claims of election fraud. In fact, it didn't take long after this announcement by Fox Business Uh, that the ex-POTUS came out with a statement and said Lou Dobbs is and was great. Nobody loves America more than Lou. He had a large and loyal following. Uh, And what Fox said was that Fox News Media regularly considers programming changes. Plans have been in place to launch new formats as appropriate post-election. This is part of those plans. And they're looking for a new show at 5 p.m. Eastern, which is when Lou Dobbs tonight aired. Uh, So it's a very big deal because... um, for one thing, Lou Dobbs is, you know, whether you like Lou Dobbs, or you don't like Lou Dobbs, he's been a cable television star for a very long time. He was a business guy. I mean, his show on CNN was mostly about business, and then it kind of morphed into other things, and obviously he's more uh, far-ranging or has been on Fox. Uh, Dobbs hasn't made any comment. He's retweeted a bunch of things if you want to look at what he's been saying. And what I said on the air is this. In my opinion, sometimes Dobbs went too far. All this, I guess, will be litigated. And by the way, all the opinion hosts at Fox, even among the conservative opinion hosts, you know, don't have the same views, haven't said the same things about the contested election. Uh, And, you know, you can't get away from the fact that this announcement was made by Fox Business the day after the lawsuit was filed. Uh, Nor, I mean, it's been widely reported that uh, Donald Trump and Lou Dobbs spoke regularly uh, off the air. And that was the relationship they had. So Fox Biz has made its decision. Also, and I got into this on the show, two different New York Times reporters leaving the paper, you know, as I put it, under an ethical cloud. So I talked last week about Donald McNeil Jr. He was the guy, he's the lead COVID reporter, science reporter, been around the paper for a very long time. He went on a company-sponsored student trip, used a racial slur naming the N-word, and then the editor, Dean Baquet, who was the first African-American editor of the New York Times, said, you know what, he was outraged, but he decided to give him a second chance because he didn't intend, McNeil didn't intend to be hateful. What happened then was the newsroom did not like that. And staffers sent a letter to management expressing their outrage uh, that the unspecified punishment wasn't greater. Next thing you know, McNeil is resigning, and Dean Baquet is putting out a statement telling employees, we do not tolerate racist language regardless of intent. Now, he included a note uh, from McNeil who said, I thought the context in which I used this ugly word could be defended. I now realize it cannot. It is deeply offensive and hurtful. For that, I apologize. Also resigning is a guy named Andy Mills. He's a producer and host, or was, at the podcast Caliphate, 
which was completely and totally discredited when the Times had to acknowledge, uh, this is just in December, that it couldn't substantiate any of the claims made by the person at the center of the podcast, which was this alleged former ISIS fighter uh, who's since been uh, charged by Canadian authorities with perpetrating a terrorist hoax. So nobody lost their jobs, but Mills quit. Andy Mills, and he posted a note saying he was targeted by online complaints that my lack of punishment came down to entitlement and male privilege. Now, he acknowledges that in his previous job, was with WNYC Public Radio, he made some mistakes. He once gave a colleague a back rub. He once poured a drink on a co-worker's head at a drunken bar party. But he's saying the caliphate disaster uh, was so great that people took those things and, quoting him, there were gross exaggerations and baseless claims. Several people have even alleged that I'm a predator and a dangerous threat to my colleagues. So he just felt like he could no longer continue because of the harsh social media spotlight, and where we heard that before, uh, about the mistakes that he and, he and others made. And by the way, it was an institutional mistake by the New York Times, lack of fact-checking, and the Times, to its credit, belatedly owned up to all of that. So, story number five might be something you ordinarily would think you don't care about, the firing of an editor named Kate Harston at the Hachette Book Group uh, in Manhattan. It's one of the major New York publishers. And she was the editorial director of a conservative imprint. It's called Center Street within Hachette, which is a major global company. And she made a lot of money publishing conservative authors during the Trump years. Um, she published Donald Trump Jr., for example, she published a book called Triggered. Uh, well, Triggered was Donald Trump Jr. She published a book by Corey Lewandowski, who was on my show yesterday, defending the former president. Trump, America First, The President Succeeds Against All Odds. And she Trump, uh, publishes other people, including uh, Fox News host Jeanine Pirro, I mentioned her earlier, and Newt Gingrich, former House Speaker. But what happened is, it's just like the, the woke rebellion at the New York Times. The other people who work for other parts of Hatchet, they are a lot more liberal, and they don't like publishing these authors. So suddenly, some of their money is being paid by the money coming in from the Donald Trump Jr. book, and they didn't even like publishing you know, Woody Allen or J.K. Rowling or others who are liberals, but have fallen out of favor. And so, even with uh, this imprint and Kate Harston writing high, she had the number one political book on Amazon, Unmasked. Inside Antifa's radical plan to destroy democracy, Hatchet fired her. Now, the official reasons, according to sources quoted by New York Times columnist Ben Smith, who reports extensively on this, were pretty mundane, but she told associates she believed she'd been fired for her politics. Uh, she wasn't even mentioned on a Zoom meeting where reporters were told about that. But they were, the employees were told on this Zoom call uh, that Hatchet has learned the lesson of the Capitol siege of January 6th. No hate speech. No incitement to violence, no false narratives. And they've made clear to both editors and agents that they're shifting back toward what they call think tank conservatives, away from fire-breathing politicians. Now, you'll recall that Simon & Schuster, one of, the, uh, one of the big five, uh, which is soon going to combine with Random House and be one giant company, um, Penguin Random House, I should say, so there's been a the whole series of mergers in the publishing business, uh, canceled the book by Josh Hawley, the Republican senator who led the uh, Let's Not Certify Joe, Joe Biden, which a lot of people think led, at least indirectly, to the violence on January 6th. So his book was canceled. And, you know, I've had books. I've written six books. Um, first five of them were published by places like Random House, like Simon & Schuster. But when I proposed a book, my book Media Madness, that uh, was about holding 
Donald Trump accountable, but also holding the media accountable. And how bad, and this is in the first year before a lot of other stuff happened, how grossly unfair and just how hostile the media have been uh, to Donald Trump, and particularly at that time. Uh, The big publishers didn't have any interest, so I published it with Regnery, but it just showed you. And by the way, uh, Ben Smith quotes two sources as saying Simon Schuster is no longer going to publish uh, conservative activist Candace Owens. So big shakeup in these companies. And it's kind of like when the Times fired its former editorial page editor, James Bennett, for publishing the Tom Cotton op-ed. It's, uh, it's all, I bet it's all the same piece. You know, you're for diversity of voices until you're not. You want to hear from the other side until you don't. And that's the part uh, that troubles me. I mean, every publishing, there's no right to be published. Every company can make its own decision who it wants to associate with. I get that. Uh, but when it reaches the point where you're not just publishing hate speech or inciting out into violence, but when you're saying, well, we don't want to publish these conservatives because we think they're, they represent hate speech. I mean, I, think, I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to have an easy time getting a book contract, you think? Um, there is a line. And when it crosses that line, it becomes part of a much wider, much wider cancel culture. And I use that term carefully. I don't just throw it out. You know, companies have the right to take people off the air. Companies have the right uh, not to publish books. Uh, I get all that. But it does seem like the liberals are in ascendancy. And, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm down the middle. I'm not an ideological guy. But it does seem like free speech is getting pummeled these days. And that makes me uncomfortable. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. And hope you got a chance to see Media Buzz. You can subscribe here at Apple iTunes and many other places. We'll see you tomorrow with more Buzz Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.